0: Sometimes people will ask me, what's your favorite book of the Bible, or what's your favorite verse of the Bible? And I think some of you can relate, sometimes whatever you're studying you find becomes your your favorite place. But if I were to ask you not what your favorite passage is, but what do you think is the the greatest or the most important text in scripture, that would probably be a tough question as well. We'd probably have different answers, different ideas. Maybe that wouldn't be a completely fair question, because all of God's Word is important. All of God's Word is foundational, and yet Jesus did talk about weightier matters of the law. Paul talked about things of first importance. Hebrews talks about foundational truths for believers. But think for a moment, how would you answer that question? What is most important or the greatest of all the passages in the Bible for us to know and do? We might have different answers, but let me ask you a different question. What do you think might be the most quoted passage of all? What do you think would be the most quoted passage passage. Think about that. Maybe you even want to write down, I think some of you might be thinking, John 3.16. I I would suggest that's one of them, but not the most quoted. Or maybe you think of Psalm 23, certainly a beloved passage for, for many. Or I've thought of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God. Or the Lord's prayer certainly has been recited many times. 1 Corinthians 13 would be another that has been recited. Some people would suggest that today the most quoted verse in America is Matthew 7:1. Do not judge, lest you be judged. Even unbelievers you work with may know that verse. They might not know the reference, but they also don't know the context. But I would suggest to you that that's not the most quoted throughout history, There's another passage, different than all those that I've just mentioned, that for thousands of years has been quoted or recited at least twice daily by believers and is a part of worship services through history. And even as God's people have been scattered through the years, this was something that bound them together. This was something that in the past young boys were taught as soon as they could speak It's been called a believer's confession of faith. The faithful through the years were told to repeat this as part of their daily devotions, and it was to be on one's lips even to one's dying day. And the most quoted passage, where some of you may now know where I'm going, I also am going to argue is the greatest and most important in Scripture. And I want us to become familiar. It might not be the most famous or familiar text as I give you the reference, but we need to become familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. So if you would turn in your Bibles there, this is the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This text has been considered the most important of all the Old Testament commands. This text was like Israel's pledge of allegiance, so even as schoolchildren children. Uh, pledge allegiance to the flag. This is how they pledged allegiance Israel did to their God and in their daily prayers as Jews. And in the synagogue to this day, all around the world, if you were to be in the service there as a part of it, they would bring out the Torah scroll and there would be reverence for this is it's brought forward and, and part of what they would do in their services is they would read in, in Hebrew and it starts with these famous words to them Shema Israel Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad all all the Jews around the world would be hearing that yesterday on their on their Sabbath and it, it, it means Shema Israel it means here look at verse five verse four hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is One, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you Lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let me pray for God's help as we approach these important words. Our gracious God, we come to you as your people who need to hear who need ears to hear, who need Your Spirit to help us to hear and, and to reveal to us our lack of attention to and our lack of affection for You. And we pray, as we just sang, more love to Thee. I pray that You would help us in that. Help us to hear. Help these truths to be written on our hearts and in our lives and in our homes so that it would go out from there to others. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Lord our God. Amen. The first word in this text in verse 4 is Shema. In fact, if you have a Jewish friend who's religious or even maybe not very religious, if you were to ask, what is the Shema? They, they could probably tell it to you, and you could ask them, what does the Shema mean to you? The Shema is, is the phrase for this whole passage that begins with, hear, O Israel. This is what God's people need to hear in the sense of listen, in the sense of heed this, in the sense of obey, in the sense of this, this is to be your, your life, because it's, it's possible to listen with ears, but not really hear. That happens with our kids sometimes. That happens with me too many times. But the Lord has to tell His people, like in Revelation 2 through 3, several times, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Where James says, be quick to hear. Don't, and don't be hearers only, but be doers of the Word. Here in this context, Moses is calling God's people to hear. This is important. And he's repeating God's law back to his his people as they're they're getting ready to enter the promised land. So he brought them out of Egypt. They're getting ready to go into Canaan. And he's telling them the the commands that God has given them. In fact, if you look back at chapter 5, there's some familiar words there. Uh, I'm not going to read through all of them, but they're the Ten Commandments. You Look at verses 16 and following. Honor your father and mother. In verse 21, not coveting your neighbor's wife. Verse 20, not bearing false witness against your, your neighbor. Going back to verse 7 through 14, the the first four are who God is. That, that's where Deuteronomy 6 begins. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God, he's, he's one. And the Ten Commandments, the first four begin with how we are to relate to this God. There, we're to have no other God before Him. We're not to worship any other gods. We're to honor His name above all. We're to honor His day. But what is the most important commandment towards God? Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 sums up those first four in one, and it sets up the rest of the commands towards our neighbor. So we move in the second half or the second tablet to, to how we're to relate to our, our neighbors, our parents. We're not to murder, commit adultery, all those things towards our our neighbor. And so, love the Lord your God is not the 11th commandment. It's what goes over all of them, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Love towards God, and then love towards neighbor. And in chapter 6, he shows how that's to work out in our, in our families, but also even in our communities, as, as the, the gates would be where you would be going out into your community. This love is to propel us Beginning with God outward towards others. Love to God and love to neighbor is what's most important here. The vertical love that starts with our relationship with God. Vertical, up, upward to God, and then outward or horizontal to others. Those loves go together. And it goes outward to our family, community, and our our nations. And the Ten Commandments, we're very familiar with. There's a lot of you shall not in there. But how would you sum that up in you shall? That's what Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And look at chapter 11. Because this is for all our heart, but it's also all the time we must love our God. Chapter 11, verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge his statutes his rules and his commandments always so it's all of them it's all the time that's what we're we're called to love him with all that we are and all that he says all of the time always look back at chapter 10 verse 12 and you want to keep your bibles open as we look at these chapter 10 verse 12 and now israel what does the lord your god require of you but to fear the Lord. So here's some other words filling this out. To fear the Lord, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, and to serve. So those are, other, those are words connected here. Fearing, walking, love, and serve the Lord your God. It says, with all your heart and with all your soul. Those are the same phrases. So if you love Him with all of that, you are to serve Him with all of that. And then look at verse 18, chapter 10. It says, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God's love, as it it goes out, is to go out through His people. And there's particular people in need of compassion and, and care who weren't always cared for in those days. Those who have lost loved ones, those without family, those who were sojourners, displaced in different places. And what he's saying to his people is if we love God, we must love those who are made in God's image. And all of them, the the sojourners were non-Israelites who were living among the, the Israelites. They were neighboring people who were not out there, but were in the community And God loves all people groups, and those who love God must love all neighbors. And and here we see it's a practical love to strangers as well as to sufferers, those who are suffering, giving them what they need. And, And this language here is parallel to Leviticus 19, another very famous passage to God's people through history. Leviticus 19 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God's reminding them of what I've done for you. You are to do this just as I have done for you in love. And he says, I am the Lord your God. And this is Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. And here that includes loving and and in in particular here in this context all ethnicities and even loving your enemies. And so I want you to turn to Mark 12. And I think this is a, a timely word for us always in God's word. But we have sojourners among us like evacuees. Even as we pray for Afghanistan Sacramento has a an Afghanistan, Af- Afghani population, many with family back there, but there may be more refugees coming in the future. But but really what this is saying, any stranger, any neighbor, we need to love like we love ourselves. And, and in Deuteronomy 6, it starts with a wholehearted love for God from our whole soul. And it takes our, our whole might. And that law extends that love to others, starting in families and, and out to communities. And again, this Deuteronomy 6 has been recited for many years, maybe the most quoted of all time in light of how it was in the believers through the centuries, but you might wonder, is it, is it really the most important? I mean, can we really say this is the greatest? Well, Mark 12, verse 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, that's Jesus and other religious leaders, And seeing that he had answered them well, he asked him, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? I'm reading from the ESV. You may have a little bit different wording. But Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, the Lord said. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one, and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, He says, that's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one, these are speaking of the other religious leaders, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What's most important of all the things that God told his People to do, or your Bible might say, What is the first and foremost? Command. Jesus said the most important is hear, O Israel. And, and He's telling them there's one God, the, the Lord, you must love Him with exclusive love that encompasses all that's within you. And He starts there with the great confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he moves to the, the great commandment, the greatest commandment, that we should love our God. And this unity of the one true God calls for united hearts and souls and everything that we are to, to love Him alone. And then in light of that, that passage shows us how that needs to go out in our families and our communities. But the, the, the foremost, the second one that comes from it is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Putting those two together, Jesus says, there is no greater commandment than these. And I can't think of a greater study in light of that for us to do next than to spend time studying love. There is no greater statement. There is no greater subject and in fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus said, "Loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself." Jesus said, "All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands." Think of hanging like a like two hinges. There's there, there's there's these Two hinges, and the, the whole door rests on and needs both of these. You need both of them to, to open God's truth. You must have both together. You can't have one without the other. It doesn't work. And Jesus said the second is like it, so it's not unrelated, and it, it can't be separated. The whole Scripture turns on these two greatest of all commandments, to love God and love neighbor. And it's not just the law, but the the prophets and and the gospel as well. And it's not just the Old Testament. The New Testament hinges on this love. James calls the statement, love your neighbor, the royal law. Paul calls this the the whole law in one verse. He says it's, it's fulfilled in this one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole thing can be put in that towards our neighbor. Romans 13.8, let me read this. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The lobbying, what God calls us to love, is what fulfills that. And, and this is this passage of Deuteronomy 6 was important to Jesus. He actually quoted it a number of times. And actually, if you remember the temptation of Jesus, where he's in the wilderness for 40 days, he hasn't eaten, and the devil comes and tempts him in three ways, and he responds, it is written. It is written. With each of those, he's quoting Scripture All three of his quotations are from Deuteronomy 6, different parts of it, and Deuteronomy 8. I think this passage Jesus is really meditating upon as he's in the wilderness, thinking about back when Israel was in the wilderness and how they failed in temptations and and they weren't relying on the very truths that he brought out there. He fulfills what Israel didn't and, and couldn't for the people of God. It is written, Deuteronomy 6 is important to Jesus, and in his own words, the most important, the, the greatest. Paul would say in First Corinthians 13, there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. Love is the greatest. We think, isn't faith a, a great thing? That's what gets us to heaven, but love is even greater. And so again, I can't think of a greater theme to study than this love of God and this love for God lived out by us, and so we're going to begin a new series on love in the weeks ahead. I'm going to need help from a a brother or two to to preach for me as I prepare some of these things. But we're going to be looking at love for others in First Corinthians thirteen. And other related passages, but today we really want to start with what's foundational, and that's love towards God. But I want to share a little bit why I chose this subject and study for my doctor of ministry program at the Master's Seminary. There was a there's an assignment we have that we have to really devote a big chunk of our life to studying something, something that that you feel you need in your own life, something that would benefit others, and I just As I'm thinking about all the things I could study and and pour myself into, there's a a big paper and a lot of details I don't need to to, uh, talk about now, but thinking about what do I want to be living in and and studying and meditating on, and this subject, I think, is is something I need. I've been convicted and and even convicted more the more I study this as as a husband, as a dad, as a friend. As a pastor of my failings in love and how I need to keep growing in this, I think we, the more and more I study this, I think we need this. I know of times where our lack of loving interactions, uh, even, even recently some that I'm aware of and, and want to help with, that, that, that this is a, a big subject, love. And, and I'm, I'm thinking also of where we're at as a church with those who have lost Loved ones that we need to love well through this time in the last five weeks. I think there's eight or nine people sitting in this room right now who have lost someone in the last five weeks who they used to live with. And it could be overwhelming emotionally as those of you who are walking through that or have walked through that, and we need the love. Of each other, we need to love each other and and walk through this in, in love. This is an important subject for us, and I'm part of the help that I need from you, even as a part of my study is i 'm going to I'm going to be sending out an, an email to the church asking for some help and some feedback, and there's some questions that are, that are part of what I need to do for my study to ask you, but I, I really want you to, if you can, as you look for those emails, when you get that link, take some time to fill that out, because this is uh, growing in love. Knowing more of this love is an important thing, so that'll, that'll come. But I, I want to start with this passage here, looking at the words of Jesus. And the context of, of this passage in Mark 12 is, is a controversy over Israel's law men, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes of the law. They're, they're lawyers in the sense of, of God's law, and they're here trying to cross-examine Jesus and, and trap Him in His words. I'm not so sure about this particular scribe who's talking to him, although, but his, his group certainly was... Antagonistic towards Jesus. So it seems to me this person's softening and actually seeing the truth of what Jesus is saying. But in verse 28, he's, he hears Jesus has answered them well. You could read the earlier verses later. And so he's, he asked them, well, I think the ancient rabbis debated often. In fact, we know they did. What's the weightiest? What's the greatest of all the commandments? Because they were professionals at dissecting and categorizing the commandments into to different They had all kinds of things that we don't need to get into, but the disciples this same week, their debate was which disciple is the greatest. These religious leaders this week, their debate is which duty towards God is the greatest. They'd actually counted them out. They counted 365 commands that were negative. You shall not. So there's one for every day of the year, you shall not. And actually, their calendar is slightly different. But, but what's the most important of all those? The most important, Jesus says, is you shall. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All those positive and negative commands fall under and should flow out of Love. There's not a single command you can find that doesn't, in God's intent, relate to the first and second greatest commandments. In fact, Jesus told those Pharisees this same week in the same setting Woe to you Pharisees! And this is part of his indictment. You neglect the love of God. Woe to us if, if we neglect the love of God and all the other things that we're doing. Woe to us. And look at Mark 12, verse 34, the end of the verse. says, No one dared ask Him any more questions. We need to see this is where it ends. This is where the debates with Jesus end because He ends them right here. And in the context before this, Mark 11, is where he has come into the temple and he's shut down the temple money changers and their corruption. He's, he's turned the, the tables over, and, and Mark says he did not let any of them back in. This is the, the power of, of Jesus, who's fully human but, but fully God here. He has shut them out. He has shut down that corrupt religious practice, and he is now shutting down and shutting up the false teachers. This is all in public. The leaders are there, but all these crowds are hearing him gladly, the text says, and he's doing the talking now, and from here on out, he is turning the tables from this last question to what the whole Scripture of theirs, the whole Old Testament turns on love of God and love of neighbor and he's doing this in the temple the very place that was the center of their religious exercises and in particular the the temple was where the sacrifices had to be done but love is more important than all of those sacrifices and soon after Jesus said this sacrifices and the temple itself would go down. The next chapter is where Jesus promises that would happen in their lifetime and it did and the temple was destroyed by Rome and the whole sacrificial system ceased with it. Because they can't just go somewhere on any place to do sacrifices. There was a particular place just like God showed Mo- uh, Abraham a particular place God's people were told where that was to take place. But in judgment, the the temple, there was not one stone left on another. And that whole system went down with it. And in Mark 12, 32, after Jesus quotes the first and second greatest commandments, look at verse 32. The scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. And and literally, it it could be, you are good. You're good. Or, Or some say, well said, rabbi. And I don't think he's being insincere here. I think he's been listening, and he's been listening to his scriptures, and he's, he's hearing what Jesus said. He says, you've truly said that he is one. There is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding. He's even using some of his own words. He's saying it back to him. Is, is this right? And with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to, to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is a remarkable statement that I think shows God's at work in him. Is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's a huge statement for a devoutly religious Jew to make, where everything was about, and even what was happening that week was all about the Passover and the sacrifices and the lambs. And do you see where that all weaves together with the scripture reading this morning about the son Abraham loved go to this place that I will show you offer your son and the son knows about offerings he's like where's the lamb God himself will provide the lamb for the offering my son and what's interesting if you were listening that what God provided on that day was not a lamb it was a ram a lamb's a younger Sheep. A ram is a full-grown male sheep, if, if I understand that, right? Those of you who know more about animals can, can help me out, but a lamb and a ram are two different creatures, and it's interesting, the text actually says that from that day forward, they began to say, in a future tense, the Lord himself will provide the lamb, Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh. It was said to that day, The Lord will provide the lamb. They were still looking forward. They saw that, if you will, as a prophecy. They're looking forward to when the the ultimate lamb would come. And it's on that very place, that very place where Abraham had Isaac his son. That became the very place of the Temple Mount. God intentionally did it that way, where they would come to that very place, and they would offer sacrifices there, They would bring lambs a few days before into Jerusalem. And they would sacrifice those lambs. They were a picture of that blood needs to be shed for the forgiveness of, of sins. And on, on the day that, that they were bringing the lambs into Jerusalem, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. We know that as Palm Sunday. He comes into Jerusalem at the t- same time when it's completely crowded with all these people bringing Lambs, and here comes the one who it was said of him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the, the sins of the world. Look to him, he is the Lamb. And he provided himself on the very day of Passover. And depending on the chronology, it might have been at, even at the very time in the afternoon when the finale of the sacrifices were being done of all those lambs that were, were being slain, Jesus gives up himself and he says, "'It is finished.'" And you remember what happens? in? The, there's an earthquake, right? And the temple is, is actually shaken, and the, the holy place where, where the priests are doing sacrifices, that the holy place is the, the, the temple veil is torn from top to bottom, which only God could do. No earthquake could, could do that. And this was a, a thick curtain. It's, it's torn open, showing access from God to men is now open from heaven to earth. And there's now access through this finished sacrifice of Christ, who is the Lamb of God. Jehovah did provide a lamb on that very place. It's just an amazing thing to understand. I don't think this scribe fully understood that, but he had some sense of some of those Jews knowing that there's something greater than these symbols, these sacrifices. Micah chapter 6 Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy. Or Hosea 6.6, 6, God says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings seems this scribe got it, and he says some pretty remarkable words that even I don't think the disciples really had grasped this yet. Love is much more than all of the sacrifices and all of that system. And so Mark 12 is happening this very week where Jesus is about to, in his love, go to the cross, fulfill the Jewish scripture, fulfill the sacrificial symbolism, giving up himself as the lamb that would be slain to die for sin. And again, God opens access from heaven to earth. The the temple and that whole system is being brought to an end and His sacrifice of love is what is bringing people into what He calls here the kingdom. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's His resurrection that gives new life from a new heart that repents and now loves God and man. And so I need to ask you, have you repented? Do you have a new heart? Do you love the Lord Jesus with all that you are? Because Jesus also said you need to love Him more than father and mother or even your own flesh. Do you love the Lord Jesus? And I'm not asking do you perfectly love Him as much as you want to, as much as you long to, but is that your, your purpose Has there come a time in your life where you've sought to turn from yourself and your sin and to follow Him and to love Him? Not perfectly, but as your purpose. Is that your pursuit of your life? And does your heart resonate with that? What we sang earlier, more love to Thee, O Christ. Because if that's not you, if you've never come to love the Lord Jesus, Corinthians says, he who does not love the Lord Jesus is Accursed, he who has no love for the Lord Jesus. Those who are believers are also called those who love God, those who've been called according to his purpose. So, this scribe wasn't far from the kingdom, but maybe some of you here today are, are not yet in the kingdom. You're, but maybe you're not far. You're hearing this, you're understanding it now. Come to this Lord, come to this loving Savior. Lay down your life and and your loves and your sin and come to Him. Ask Him to save you and to change you and to make you able to love Him and love others. I like to think maybe this Jewish scribe who wasn't far from the kingdom was brought the rest of the way. Maybe one of those Christians hearing in the early church Hebrews chapter 10, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, speaking to God, you have taken no pleasure according to the law. But the writer of Hebrews, this Hebrew Christian, says, Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. We don't need a continual sacrifice. And he says a little bit later, let us consider... How we might stimulate or stir one another to love in light of this—what wondrous love this is—we need to be thinking about. And he says, "As we gather, let us consider how to stir up one another to love. Not giving up meeting together, not forsaking assembling as as Christians do, as is the matter of some, but encouraging one another. We need to be thinking, and as we gather, before we gather, and even as we." break our time here today thinking about who can I seek to stir towards love in what I say as we gather. Love fulfills the law, fulfills what God calls us to, but if you're a sensitive believer, even as you're hearing some of these things, you should realize we fall short of that. I mean, I want to do that, but all my heart, all my soul, all my heart, all the time, with all my neighbors, I, I fall short. I, I'm, I'm pursuing that. But we need to recognize we needed Christ to fulfill the law for us. We needed someone else to live in this world. Someone who actually loved God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind and strength all the time. Loved his neighbors as himself. There's only one human being who's done that in the fullness of what this calls us to. And his name is Jesus. We need to recognize and love him more because he did that for us. He all the sacrifice he did for us in love, he died for us, but he rose. Don't miss this. He rose to bring us into his kingdom of love where we where we love him and he calls us to love one another in light of that love, empowered by that love, which isn't natural to us. It's supernatural. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's love. We're to love one another and stir one another up to love as we meet. it. If we need to stir each other up towards love, the implication is even as we gathered here today, even on a Sunday, trying to prepare our hearts in prayer, we need to be stirred up. Our our love can just settle down, and it can become cold. It needs to be kindled. It needs to be stirred up. It needs to be stimulated. Jesus said that's what's most important. Starting with love for the Lord God, and then that love, and you can't separate the two, that love needs to go out to one another as the church gathers. Maybe you're one of those that wondered about this, so let me just comment on this. Jesus added a phrase with all your mind that that wasn't in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 used the word might in my translation. You might wonder, is Is it mind or is it might? And the answer is both. Jesus is expanding on what this meant. In the Hebrew language, mind and heart go together. And I think Jesus even throws that in there for for the benefit of, of us to be reminded that when we're talking about the heart, we're also talking about the mind in Scripture. They go together, and as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? And notice in verse 33, is this other... Jewish man sums it up in his own words. He adds a little bit to it as well. To love him with all the heart and with all the understanding. That wasn't technically the language of Deuteronomy, but he's paraphrasing it and he's putting it in his own words that this is about mental, spiritual, and relational love. It's all those things. It's, It's not just the love of the will that we're called to here. This is not just choice or decision without feelings and without affections. It's strength and soul. It's head and heart. It's volition and affections and emotions. All of it we're called to and we're to pursue as we love in our decisions and choices, as we love in what we think, and also in what we feel with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And if you throw in the word understanding, the point is every part of your inner person, your whole self, all your capacity in life is to love God above all. So how do, we, how do we apply that? I want us to go back to Deuteronomy 6. And I just want to look at if this is the greatest, most important command of all. And Jesus quotes the first part of it as well that we're to hear. How do we grow in our love for God? What did God include in this passage that helps us? And it'll take other messages as well to look at that. But where does, what does that love look like? How do we begin pursuing loving God with more of heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, number one, hearing His Word. That's where Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 begins. Hear. Listen. Do you, do you listen? Do you come to God's Word, whether it's here on Sunday or during the week? Do you open God's Word? Seek to hear what... would have to say because you love him you want to you want to hear from him there's someone you you love you you call them you communicate with them you want to draw out and, and hear from them we have God's love laid out for us in scripture and everything he gives us is because he loves us that he calls us to do and so are we hearing his his word are you making time to be in his word and do you seek to love Him as you do that, to lovingly obey? You can't grow in love for the Lord if you're not hearing what He says. That's true of any relationship. If you're not spending time with someone or, or hearing their heart on things, you're not going to grow in your heart for them. So His Word preached, read by you daily. Psalm 119 would be a, a place if you realize, I, I need to kind of get revived there. I need to kind of get rekindled On this point, Psalm 119 has a bunch of prayers. It also has a bunch of statements. Oh, how I love your law. It's sweeter to me than honey. It's more valuable to me than gold and silver. And you think, wow, I don't know that I feel that way right now. Well, there's also these prayers throughout Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things found in your law. So that's a way when you're opening God's word, pray, open my eyes, help me to see the wonderful truths that are here. And he also recognizes there's times when he's down in the dust, clinging to the dust, like verse 25, and he says, revive me according to your word. Give me life according to your word. I would encourage you, even a sister in Christ even just sent this prayer for me yesterday that she was praying for me from Psalm 119. Make Psalm 119 one of the ways you pray for yourself and for others and even highlight some of those prayers that show us how we can grow in love for hearing from our Lord. And then this passage also talks about hearts on His Word. Or He says, These words that I'm giving you, they shall be on your heart. So this command in particular, to love the Lord our God, this needs to be on our heart. This needs to be something we consciously think about and meditate on. I'm called to, to love God with, with all that I am. How, how often do we, and I ask myself this, how often do we as we're going, if this is most important, how much even time do we give to thinking about this is so important that I grow in my love for you, Lord? How can I love the Lord more? How can this be more on my heart? Again, I think God's Word helps us here. Psalm, the very first psalm, Psalm 1, talks about someone whose delight is in the Word, and so he meditates on it day and night. Whatever you delight in, you're going to be meditating on. It'll, it'll come out. But again, we recognize our, our delight is not always there. We need to seek him, and this is what Psalm 119.10 says, "...with my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments." So there's a prayer to pray. I'm, I'm seeking you. Help me to do this with my whole heart. Help me not to, to wander away from this. The next verse, Psalm 119.11, says, Your word I have treasured in my heart. Or, or you might say hidden or stored up, but it's, it's like hidden treasure. I've stored it up in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Do we pursue him with his heart? And, and if you say, I, I, I want to, sometimes I don't. Verse 36 of Psalm 119. Here's another prayer. Incline my heart to your word, and not to selfishness. That's a great prayer. Psalm 119, 36, incline my heart to to you, to your word, not to selfishness. That's so much of our problem, that's so much of my problem. Selfishness, not incline my heart to God's word. So hearts on his word, and if we want to make a difference in our home, in our family relationships, we can't just focus on other people and what they need to do or even what we need. Can do For them, we need to start here hearing God's Word for ourselves, making time for that, having our own hearts impacted and, and gripped by this. And then, homes filled with His Word. But I'd suggest the order is important. If, if we're not starting in verses 4 through 6, and we just try to do things by way of, of legalism, it's not going to fulfill this. But he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. And when you rise in the everyday things of life, there are opportunities to be thinking about, talking about, speaking about the things of God. Our kids pick up things, not just in formal times like when we're at church or doing family devotions or things like that. They also just pick up from observing us. I remember one of our daughters many years ago when she was two years old, she was telling her doll that she needed to have a, happy heart, and she spanked her doll, and, all, and then she, she said, now let's pray. Thank you, God, for this food. She, she got a little, little mixed up the context of that, of that prayer there, but, but she's, she's trying to... She's repeating back, obviously, things she'd seen in her, in her parents, but we can think about examples where sometimes our kids pick up things that we don't want them to pick up. Uh, but they, they pick up, what do mom and dad love? and so that's something good for us to think about what's on our heart what, what what do we love to do and certainly there could be activities we like to do that they come to love but what do we and who do we love most our kids are going to know if we love the lord the things of his people and his church but they'll also be able to tell and our family will be able to tell in the way we speak of people at church the things of the lord They also can pick up that as well. They can also pick up on if if other things are are more important, whether it's activities or sports or them. It could be a child-centered home. But is God number one? And whose job is it to teach children these things? It's not the job of the church. It's not Sunday school in this verse or our Thursday night children's ministry. We certainly want to pray for that this week as it launches uh, it's not the Christian school, it's a wonderful school we have here. It's not Christian videos. You know, there's no vegetable songs that can fulfill this verse here. Who's called to do this? It's, it's parents. It's parents. And to teach means to sharpen, literally, to, to chisel, to shape, to impress truth upon them diligently. And, and when and how? Just looking at those different phrases, you and in, in your homes can work those out, but finding times when maybe you're sitting at home where you can talk about the things of the Word, or when you're walking, and today we might say even when you're driving together with someone in your family to, to try to talk about things of the Lord. Sometimes for, for some kids, sitting next to you while you're driving can open up conversation more than just sitting and looking at each other. When you rise, when you lie down, there's times, opportunities to pray with our children, speak things of, of God to them, and when they rise, I know with our kids at times, they don't they didn't want to go to bed right away, so that was a prime time to actually use that time to talk about things, try to pray with them, sing with them. We could spend a lot more time thinking about that. I would actually encourage each of you in your homes to talk about ways that you can, whether it's a, a formal time or scheduled times, or even as as a married couple, to maybe think about, talk about a time, maybe even once a week where you could spend time with your spouse talking about things of the Lord and your children and others. But here's the last one. Whole lives marked by His Word. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The hands represented actions. The the eyes... We might say, between your eyes, thinking and and seeing. I remember when I was a kid one time, I, I, I had trouble remembering, I, I still do, but my, my mom tied a little string around my finger to remind me when I was at school, when you see that string, let that remind you, why is that string there? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this, so I wouldn't forget. So there's, there's even actions we can do to help, help us remember, but between your eyes, think of your thinking and your seeing, something that that even you see? Are there things that you can put before yourself even to write them? There's nothing wrong with writing verses, putting them around your, your house, putting them on your mirror, putting them on your car dashboard, or your cubicle, or your monitor, or having a verse that you're working on that you keep with you in your, in your pocket, and you're waiting in line, and rather than just pulling out your phone to check social media, why not pull out that card, that verse that you're working on, and have that actually encourage you rather than what's going on in the world. And so when it talks about the doorposts, the idea there could be whether you're going in or you're going out. We need to be reminded of these truths. What we're called to do as we go out into the world, but also as we're coming into our home, which needs to be a place of ministry. And the gates, it mentions the gates, that's where business took place in the Old Testament. And so that could be business decisions, social matters. And it could also be not just when you're around your family and friends, but when you're out on the town or when you're out of town, everywhere and every circumstance, we need to be thinking about our relationship with the Lord and others. So just as we close here in your sermon note sheet, there's these questions to help with application to talk about. These things, just like it says in this passage, talk about them when you're at home. This is something you can, while you're sitting at home, just like it says, keeping it before your eyes, talk about this with someone else in your family. Or there's a a number of small groups meeting in the church and and taking part of their time to go through questions from what, what we've heard in church or other types of questions. I know there's other groups as well doing interactive study. But here's, just look at number six on that. How might understanding the greatest commandment impact how we view how great our sin is? And how should this passage impact how you confess sin? Which we're going to have an opportunity to do now, whether at communion today or during the week. It was interesting, Luther said, if if this is the greatest commandment, then could we not also suggest that when we don't do this commandment, it's our greatest sin? If this is the greatest commandment to God, is our... Is it not that our failure to love others in the fullness of what this calls to is is a great sin? And we might even say other sins that we do actually relate to that root issue. And so I would encourage you, if you don't think about that principle enough, to even in our time of confessing sin now, to confess lack of love. And, And there's other questions about how we can think about, help each other apply this. But number nine, we'll close with this. Is there anyone you're convicted you haven't been loving to? What can you do this week to show love?